You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open the scriptures together. We have two scripture readings. The first is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the verses 18 to 31, and the next is taken from Galatians chapter 2, the verses 15 and 20 to 20. We begin then with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18 and ending at verse 31, where the word of our God reads as follows, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Then we turn to Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 20. We who are Jews by birth and are Gentile sinners, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I preached to you this morning from 
the word of our God as you find it in the letter of Paul to the churches in Galatia, chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, this past week was the first week of school for children in our midst. And then for some of those children, especially for those who went to school perhaps for the first time or who are still among the younger students of the school, it may have been an almost overwhelming experience. Why some of them may even have come home and boasted about their teacher in the most glowing terms. Mom, Dad, I have the best, the greatest teacher in the whole wide world. Now, I think that's a good kind of boasting. And as a matter of fact, I hope that many children came home and made somewhat similar statements. Why, well, I even hope that this kind of boasting has a lot of company. What do I mean? Well, I hope that some of you can say with honesty and sincerity, of course, things like, I have the best wife in the world, or I have the best husband, the best father, the best children, the best job. You see, some things in life really are worth boasting about. But then as you do so, you also, of course, need to exercise a measure of care, for while there is good boasting, there is also bad or evil boasting. If your son came home this past week from school and exclaimed at the supper table, I am the smartest person in my class. Or if your daughter came home and said, I am the most beautiful girl in the school. I don't think that'd be too good. I'm sure that you as parents would soon have to say a word or two to them. to Put them in their place. And so it is, beloved, that there are two kinds of boasting. There is a boasting that is cute, helpful, even to be encouraged. There's also a boasting that's kind of ugly, unfitting, and to be discouraged. Yes, and now with this in mind, we also look at our text of this morning. For it, too, is very much about a kind of boasting. About the first kind, well, also about the second kind, as we'll see. But what we're really going to see here is what's the best thing in all of life to boast about. Maybe that's a good thing to keep in mind also as we begin a new season of Bible study and all manner of activities. Let's make sure that our agenda is determined and filled with the only really, really great and excellent kind of boasting that there is. So we're going to look this morning at right boasting, odd boasting as well, by the way, and finally, hard boasting. Well, you'll notice, beloved, our text this morning is found in the last chapter of Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, and it's kind of a concluding statement, a summary, 
And it closes off a whole long section of apostolic reasoning and argument. If you wonder what kind of argument, well, if you read this letter over in its entirety, you'll see that it's concerned with a a very vital subject. Namely, what is the place of works of the law in the Christian life? Specifically, the controversy in Galatia swirled around the matter of circumcision. You see, in the churches of Galatia, and you can read that elsewhere in this letter, there was a very strong circumcision party. These people claimed to be Christian. They said that they believed in Jesus Christ. They confessed him as the Son of Man and the Son of God. They embraced his atoning sacrifice. They rejoiced at his resurrection. In many ways, they were the bona fide articles. And then, of course, it's not for me, and neither is it for you, to doubt their sincerity However, the fact remains that there was something seriously defective about their understanding of the Christian gospel. For you see, whenever a Gentile was converted to Christ, these people insisted that more than simply faith in Jesus Christ was needed. You also needed to let yourself be circumcised. And you need to keep all of those aspects of the old Jewish ceremonial law. And indeed, so insistent were these people on this point that it it didn't take very long that they crossed swords with the Apostle Paul. But Paul writes a letter to them as well as to the churches in Galatia. and, And you can see, if you read this letter, that very categorically and emphatically He condemns what he calls this Judaizing teaching. He regards it as nothing else than anti-Christian legalism. But the point, Paul says, is that Jews and Gentiles alike enjoy in Christ a complete salvation. They're all justified, adopted, renewed, made God's heirs through the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. Faith in Christ frees them from ever. From the need to seek salvation through the works of the law. For the law is not a saving instrument. For believers to revert to the law and to law keeping as a ground of salvation means to revert to slavery and to forfeit the grace of Christ. You see, beloved, what these Judaizing Christians in Galatia needed to understand and what we all, in a sense, still need to understand is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a gospel of plus. Because really what those People in Galatia were saying, as you need Christ plus the works of the law. Later on, we hear it again. The Roman church says you need Christ plus good works equals salvation. Or you hear it, for example, among Neo-Pentecostals saying, you need Christ, but you also need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Or the Mormons saying you need Christ plus you, you need the teachings of Joseph Smith. Or sometimes even in our own circles you can, you can kind of hear this, this doctrine of plus. Christ plus a certain view on this matter. Equal salvation. Or Christ plus the confessions of the church. Equal salvation. But beloved, it's not so. Salvation is through Jesus Christ and through faith in Him alone. And of course, a lot of these other things, perhaps in one way or another, may be important. How you look at ethical issues, how you look at certain doctrinal issues, how you regard the confessions of the church. I'm not saying that's not important. But what we're really looking at is what is first? What is foremost? And then none of the issues that I've mentioned, none of those things plus other things are on par with faith. Faith in Christ stands alone. Everything else comes from or flows from it. Or if you want, beloved, you can also say, as the Apostle Paul says here in our text, may I never boast except in my relationship to Jesus Christ. Paul realizes and he wants to impress upon not only the Galatian believers, but upon all the children of God throughout the ages. Keep this matter first and foremost. Faith in Christ alone saves. And this is something to boast about. And you notice in our text, the Apostle Paul even uses that word boast And of course, as we have said earlier, there's good kind of boasting, there's bad kind of boasting. And you might say the good kind of boasting is boasting that has a right reason behind it as well as a right intention. And Paul's boasting is both. Let's look at the reason. Why does the Apostle Paul speak about boasting here? Why does he even use that word? Well, he does so in reaction. For it's obvious from the words of verse 13 that the Judaizers were boasting in their gospel of plus. They were glorying, he says, in the flesh. In other words, they were boasting about their religious achievements. Every convert to their particular brand of Christianity was a cause for rejoicing. And so every convert... It was like a trophy. They were busy glorying and boasting in themselves and in their particular works. That was the first mistake. And it's compounded by a second, for Paul says that there is something else amiss in their boasting. For look, the very law that they say is necessary for salvation and that has to be kept at all costs is not even being kept by them. 
As he says in verse 13, not even those who are circumcised obey the law. And then he adds, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. You see what this kind of boasting is all about? It's man-centered. It's selfish. It uses people. It's hypocritical. Preaching one thing but doing another. The Judaizers are in line with the scribes and the Pharisees of whom the Lord Jesus said, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they preach. They don't practice. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move even one finger. So Paul reacts to these people. He reacts to all of this self-centered, this inconsistent boasting of theirs. And he uses that word as well. But notice he uses it as a form of contrast. For whereas the Judaizers boast about themselves, the, the apostle categorically rejects this. As he says, may I never boast. Literally, he says, may God forbid that I ever do any such thing like this. And of course, that raises the question, is then all boasting excluded? All boasting in self, most emphatically. Or boasting in Christ? Not at all. And that's now what the Apostle Paul does. He does it here in Galatia, in his letter to them. He, he does it elsewhere. He, he boasts in Christ. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one great exception. It's found in Christ. Paul's boasting is not centered in himself or in his deeds. It's completely centered in the person and work of the Lord and Savior. Doesn't mean that, beloved, he's being consistent. Or look around in his letters and you'll see that Paul is often busy doing this. For example... In one or in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21 to 29, Paul says, What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. So he goes on and on. But the important thing, beloved, is to realize that ultimately this is not self-boasting or or self-glorification. For what he is doing is showing his hearers and his readers the futility of boasting in themselves. 
And he does that by sending out a long list of his own accomplishments. And in so doing, the Apostle Paul doesn't mean to outclass them, but rather to shame them into humility. If I must boast, I will boast of the things, he says in verse 30, that show my weakness. That's why he does it. On another occasion in Philippians chapter 3, the verses 4 to 6, we find the apostle boasting again. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Listening to all of this in isolation, we are not all that impressed. But if you look at it in context, we actually see that Paul is countering the decree or the pedigree of the Pharisees or Judaizers with his own. He's as far superior to theirs. You know, he says in the end it means so little. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. To know Christ. To gain Christ. Is so much better. And to boast about him is so much more appropriate. And thus we see, beloved, that with Paul there is both a proper reason for boasting as well as a a proper intention behind his boasting. Paul's whole life is a boasting in Jesus Christ, his Lord and his Savior. And that's not what the boasting of the Judaizers is about. But then, beloved, of course, that does raise the question, how about our boasting today? I'm sure we all boast. In one way or another, we all know how to boast. The problem is usually, however, that if we really reflect upon it, that most of the boasting we do tends to be boasting about ourselves. We have this neat way of being able to turn the spotlight on our own achievements and our own deeds and abilities, piety. But then, beloved, may our text of this morning remind us that there is this one kind of boasting that stands above everything else. And it's the boasting that is Christ at its heart and center. May that be the kind of boasting that we are active in. Boasting about Christ to others. 
in our family lives, in our neighborly lives, in our work lives, boasting not about ourselves, but in the greatness of our Savior. But then, beloved, there's also something else about this boasting that we should notice, and that comes down to the specifics. For our text is not only speaking about boasting in the glorious person of Christ, or in the awesome miracles of Christ, or even in the wise words of Christ. No, notice the Apostle Paul terms it boasting in the cross of Christ. And you might wonder, the cross of Christ, how can that ever be a cause for boasting? Is it not something despicable? Does it not represent the lowest denominator in Christ's ministry? Does it not refer to the most humiliating time of his life? And besides, look at how the Jews and the Gentiles view the cross. We've read that in 1 Corinthians 1. For the one, the cross is a huge stumbling block. For the other, the cross is an insurmountable stupidity. The cross in their eyes and in their minds represents the place of uttermost shame and the worst form of execution imaginable. And indeed it's hard for us Christians today to appreciate the horror and the repugnance with which the cross was viewed by both the Jews and the Gentiles in our Lord's day. There isn't any comparable form of death today. I know that some speak about death in the gas chamber or death in the electric chair. But even those don't come close. So the question arises, how can one boast in the cross of Christ? And truly, beloved, that can only be done if we understand fully the the dimensions of the gospel. Outwardly, it's true. The cross is a most despicable symbol. On the surface, it's totally inappropriate, unfit, and disgusting. When you wear a cross around your neck, If you really look at that objectively, it's a very, very strange thing to do from the perspective of the world. The cross represents all of those things that are ugly and shameful and scandalous. And beloved, we are believers. As strange as it may sound, for us, the cross is something completely different. True, there is the scandal and there is the shame and there is the humiliation, but the cross, in a sense, constitutes the center of our faith and the moving cause of our redemption. Though I know on the one hand the cross tells us some very unpalatable truths about ourselves, It points out in a very clear and dramatic fashion that we are sinners. We stand under the righteous judgment of God's law. The fact that Christ had to die on a cross 
shows you and I and reminds us how serious our sins are. And that by nature, by origin, we're lost, we're cursed, we're corrupt. In and of ourselves, there is no saving good. But then Christ Jesus comes along. And what does he do? He becomes our substitute, our mediator, our sin bearer. And it's on the cross, that most despicable of places, that he bears my sin and my curse. He dies for me on that accursed tree. And because he does this for me, I am released from the power of sin and the curse of the law. I'm free. I'm saved. I'm even righteous. Well, you know, if we could have done it ourselves, if our obedience, our conformity to the works of the law could have done it, we could have done it without the cross. But nevertheless, as it stands today, every time I look at the cross, every time you look at the cross, your Savior is saying to you, I am here because of you. It's your sin that I'm bearing. It's your curse that I am suffering. It's your debt that I am paying. And it's your death That I am dying. Of course I realize that many people. Do not like to hear. About any of this. They resent. The humiliation that the cross. Represents. They prefer to live a life. Filled with all kinds of comfortable illusions. They want a Christianity. Without. The cross. And and a religion in which their own works of piety will contribute to their salvation. Beloved, for us who embrace the gospel in all of its fullness, the message of the cross cannot be a help but be a source of endless comfort and great joy. You know, it really is something to boast about. We may boast about Christ and we may boast about his cross because that's the place where I died to sin and became alive to God. It represents the greatest rescue imaginable. The greatest turning point in my life. And it really is the most fantastic reason for boasting. And notice the Apostle Paul even adds a bit more to that. He says, but far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You might say there the Apostle Paul is speaking about the consequences of all of this. He's speaking about... Not just the cross, but also about a certain 
consequence of the cross, a certain crucifixion process. And if you wonder how that works, well, Christ was crucified on Good Friday. But you know, when he was crucified on Good Friday, something else was crucified with him. Of course, in a sense, you might want to say you were crucified with him. But really what the Apostle Paul stresses here in our text is that the world, this fallen world with all of its pretensions and attractions, this rebellious world with all of its scheming and unbelief, this immoral world with all of its sins and seductions, this world was put to death. In other words, the cross of Jesus Christ not only represents a reason for boasting, but it also represents a radical break between you and I and this fallen world. And what that means is that over against everything that is sinful and fallen in this life, you and I have a calling and the power to say no. The cross of Jesus Christ has set me free. The cross of Jesus Christ, says the Apostle Paul in the next verse, verse 15, has made me into a new creation. And you know what that means? As a result of what Christ has done, I have a different outlook on the world. I have a different way of speaking, a different set of priorities, different plans, different hopes and and expectations. The world has been crucified to me. I no longer love it. I'm no longer dominated by it. I'm no longer driven by its agenda. I'm no longer under its spell or enslaved to it. I'm free. The cross of Jesus Christ sets me free. It turns my life around. It's killed the world for me and opened up my eyes. And beloved, has it also done that for you? Do you ever boast about how the cross has radically, and the work of Jesus Christ has has radically changed your perspective on life? You know, it should and it must. I think so often we, we think we can serve God and the world. We have that A desire to have it both ways. The best of God, the best of the world. Or otherwise we have, you know, and we do that so often, we divide life into compartments. There is our, our Sunday life and there is our Monday life. There is our public life and there is our private life. There is our spiritual life and there is our worldly life. It's so often what we do. But if you think of the cross, you can't live that way any longer. 
You can't live with one foot in the kingdom and another foot in the world. Christ says, put both feet in the kingdom because the world has been crucified. Its power in your life should be no more. And that also goes for our young people. One of the problems we have in life today is that the world seems so very attractive. Its fashions are attractive. Its entertainment is attractive. Its gadgets are attractive. And we are drawn and magnetized and hypnotized, as it were, by all of these things. And so easily we forget. Christ has set me free. I'm not saying you cannot use what you find in creation. Use the good things. But first of all, you're a child of God. Your first loyalty is to Christ Jesus, whom you should be boasting about constantly. That loyalty should dominate and infiltrate everything. And if it does, sometimes you'll have to say no to the world. No to the books, no to the movies, no to the videos, no to the various practices and pastimes. Because you see, being crucified to the world... A debt to the world also creates a reaction. The world doesn't like you when you no longer conform. When you no longer pay homage. When you no longer go according to the world's agenda. When you say, I don't do this, or I don't think that's right. Or I don't think that my Savior would be pleased if I lived or acted or conducted myself in that manner. Boasting about Christ. And living out of that boast. May get you in trouble. But ultimately it doesn't matter. It may be hard. But God has promised He'll be there for you in the hard places of life. He never deserts those who are His own. Who never leaves His children in the lurch who stand up for Him for the glory of His name, for the majesty of His Son, for the coming of His kingdom. And so, beloved, I would urge you Take these words of the Apostle Paul and of the Holy Spirit to heart. Boast. Boast in Christ every day. But then boast especially in what he has done for you on the cross. And show that. How you live. Show in all things that your first and primary loyalty is to him. To him be the praise and the honor and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web 
at www.langleycanrc.org.